بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Here in this series, we'll be exploring Fihi Ma Fihi by Rumi. There's already one series we have on this SoundCloud site, exploring the Arbery translation. Here we're exploring the Thaxton translation, which is published by Shambhala, and it is published in uh, 1994. Uh, this translation I like more than the Arbery translation, and further, uh, 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 it's more authentic to the text as far as I understand it, but uh, sometimes the translation does become a little bit mechanical as opposed to contextual. Nevertheless, we are going to go right into this discourse number one. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, The worst scholar is one who visits princes, but the best prince is the one who visits scholars. Happy the prince at a poor man's door, wretched the poor man at a prince's gate. People have taken this saying at its face value to mean that it is not fitting for a scholar to visit a prince lest he become a bad scholar. It does not, however, mean what people imagine. Its true meaning is that the worst scholar is one who receives support from princes, whom he must fear in order to gain his livelihood. Such a man's primary aim in the pursuit of learning is for princes to bestow gifts upon him, to hold him in high esteem, and to grant him official positions. Therefore, it is on their account that he betters himself and exchanges his ignorance for learning. When he becomes a scholar, he learns proper etiquette out of fear of them and their power to punish. So willy-nilly he conducts himself as they would have him do. Therefore, whether outwardly it be the prince who visits the scholar or the scholar who visits the prince, such a scholar must conduct himself as a guest while the prince acts as host. On the other hand, when a scholar dons the robe of learning, not for the sake of princes, but rather first and foremost for God's sake, and when his conduct and comportment are all are along the path of rectitude, as his natural inclination should be, and for no other reason, like a fish which can only live in water, then such a scholar is so ruled by reason that during his time all men stand in awe of his presence and are illuminated by, by his reflected radiance, whether they are aware of it or not. If such a scholar goes to a prince, it is he who acts as the host and the prince the guest, because the prince will be receiving assistance and will be dependent upon the scholar. The scholar is quite independent of the prince. He will shed light like the sun, whose only property is to give and bestow. The sun turns ordinary stones into rubies and carnelians and earthen mountains into mines of copper, gold, silver, and lead. The sun makes the earth green and fresh and produces various fruits and trees. Its only function is to give and bestow. It does not take anything, as the Arabs say proverbially, proverbially, we have learned to give, not to take. Such scholars are therefore hosts in any situation, and princes are their guests. Okay, so now let's explore this uh, uh, step by step. The first part, the narration of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the worst scholar is one who visits princes, the best prince is the one who visits scholars. Second sentence, happy the prince at the poor man's door, wretched the poor man at the prince's gate. So when you and I look at this narration, <clears throat> it's very easy to uh, point fingers at scholars who are connected or close to power and assume that they are sellouts. Uh, because it says the worst scholar is the one who visits princes. Um, and then when a prince is coming to visit a scholar, um, it, we, our, our reflex is to think that that prince is someone who is modest and is coming for learning. Okay. Uh, we get more of an insight of what this first sentence means by the second sentence. So the second sentence is, Happy the prince at a poor man's door. 
wretched the poor man at a prince's gate. Now, if we read this in reverse order, as is the case with a lot of these texts, it's easier to understand in our cultural context. Wretched the poor man at a prince's gate. So the poor man is someone who has nothing of dunya and is visiting the gate, the, the home of the person who has everything of dunya. So the poor man is, is begging. The poor man is hoping that the rich man, the prince, will give. So what is this whole hadith about? This is about giving and receiving. So the poor man who is seeking to receive from the prince so much that he goes all the way to the prince's house, that is a person in a very wretched state. Now, the step before that, happy the prince at a poor man's door. So the prince who is visiting the poor now has an opportunity to give. So the prince is taking on the role of being the servant of the people. So the prince might be the commander-in-chief, the chief executive, so forth and so on. But the role of the leader in our community and the role of the person full of dunya, who has full control of dunya in our community, is to be one of service. So the prince is looking for people to give to. The prince is looking for people to take care of. Okay? Looking for people to receive. So now, looking at the first sentence, we said it's about giving and receiving. The worst scholar is the one who visits princes if they are seeking to receive from the prince. And the best prince is the one who visits scholars if they are looking to receive from the scholar. Because what is the opposite? A prince who's visiting a scholar could be looking for an endorsement. And so, again, all of this is about giving and receiving. So anytime you and I are visiting or we're being visited, we're seeking to give or we're seeking to receive, sometimes both. And so now, let's get into Rumi's commentary. People have taken this at face value to mean that it is not fitting for a scholar to visit a prince lest he become a bad scholar. Now, this is something that's often a problem today when we see a photograph of a religious leader uh, walking with a tyrant. Uh, the religious leader knows that, that he or she, usually he, is, is running the risk of losing the esteem of the people. But if the, uh, if the scholar is coming to give something other than an endorsement, something other than a contribution to power, it may not be a bad move. But let's explore further. Rumi says, it does not, however, mean what people imagine. Its true meaning is that the worst scholar is the one who receives support from princes whom he must fear in order to gain his livelihood. So now, step one is, from whom are you seeking to receive? And the one whom you are seeking to receive from, you should find yourself in fear of, of earning their displeasure. So if you are seeking to receive from the prince, you will at some point start fearing the prince. Out of fear, you're going to say something wrong, and you're going to lose your livelihood. So then Rumi says, such a man's primary aim in the pursuit of learning is for princes to bestow gifts upon him, okay? and uh, to hold him in high esteem and to grant him official positions. So... That is the person that we're speaking about when we're speaking of a sellout. That person is now shifting his whole theology, his whole morality, his whole disposition to be at the service of the prince, hoping to receive patronage and honor from the prince. 
Therefore, it is on their account that he betters himself and exchanges his ignorance for learning. So, when this type of person is engaging in learning, it is for the goodwill of the prince. Then, he says, when he becomes a scholar, he learns proper etiquette out of fear of them and their power to punish. So, willy-nilly, he, conduct, he conducts himself as they would have him do. Therefore, whether outwardly it be the prince who visits the scholar or the scholar who visits the prince, such a scholar must conduct himself as a guest while the prince acts as host. So, what does this mean? You become completely at the servant, at the service of the prince. You learn adab out of fear of the prince. You conduct yourself out of fear of punishment of the prince. You essentially become a vessel of the prince, of whatever it is the prince wants to do with you. Okay. Now, on the other hand, when a scholar dons the robe of learning, not for the sake of princes, but rather first and foremost for God's sake, and when his conduct and comportment are all along the path of rectitude as his natural inclination should be, and for no other reason, like a fish which can only live in water, then such a scholar is so ruled by reason that during his time all men stand in awe of his presence and are illuminated by his reflected radiance, whether they are aware of it or not. And so what happens? If you are, on the other hand, you are engaging in learning first and foremost for God's sake, okay? and then your actions become the actions of positive transformation, reform, revival, okay? uh, bringing people towards God, you reach a point where you become like a fish which can only live in water. You reach a point where that is all you can do. You can't not act in service of God. Okay. Then we are saying that scholar is so ruled by sense that people stand in awe of his presence and are illuminated by his reflected radiance whether they realize it or not. And so we're saying that this person becomes a vessel through whom Allah Ta'ala brings light to those around him. This is the person through whom Allah Ta'ala helps people develop awe and humility just by their presence. If such a scholar goes to a prince, it is he who acts as the host and the prince who acts as the guest because the prince will be receiving assistance and will be dependent upon the scholar. So this type of scholar is not afraid of the prince. This type of scholar is not looking for patronage from the prince. This scholar knows that whatever happens to him or her, uh, Allah Ta'ala will take care of them. So the prince has no power over them. And thus the prince will become the one who is subservient. Because that scholar will get the attraction of the people by way of integrity. So the scholar is quite independent of the prince. He will shed light like the sun, whose only property is to give and bestow. So what is the disposition of this person? Exactly like the sun. What is the sunnah of the sun? It is bringing light. It is bringing heat. And it is giving and giving without measure, without asking for anything in return. The sun is the metaphor of the scholar in service to Allah. That is the sunnah. The sun turns ordinary stones into rubies and carnelians and earthen mountains into mines of copper, gold, silver, and lead. So what does this scholar do? 
by virtue of this process of giving, which is uh, uh, motivated by this process of learning for the sake of Allah, they turn hearts, stone hardened hearts, into gems. So they influence the people around them, transforming them into gems. And then they influence the communities around them, the mountains, into mines full of copper, gold, and silver, and lead. Okay. Further, the sun makes the earth green and fresh and produces various fruits on trees. And so they also bring life to that which has the capable of, give, of giving life. Its only function is to give and bestow. It does not take anything. As the Arabs say proverbially, proverbially, we have learned to give, not to take. So this is a person who is only giving, whereas the first type of scholar is only receiving. Such scholars, therefore, are the hosts in any situation, and the prince are their guests. So such scholars are always at home, always in presence of the divine, and the princes are their guests, to whom the scholar may give access or a special connection to the divine. To the, to the divine. Subhanak Allahumma bihamdika, nashadu illa ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk wa akhri da'wana, anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.